and welcome to the FM Podcast. I'm Jen Fritz, and I run Fritz Media, a music publicity and digital marketing firm located in Vancouver, Canada. And this is episode number 45 of the podcast. So the topic of this week's show is surviving as a working class artist. And joining me on the show is Montreal-based musician Russell Lauder who just released their new single, Movie Queen, a couple months ago, and has a new album coming out later this summer. Russell and I had a really great conversation and talked about how hard it is to survive as an independent artist in 2023. We both get real fired up and pretty radical idea-wise in this talk, so brace yourself. We're both pretty radical lefties, so, uh, you know, we're going to have some ideas coming out. It's really good. It was a really great talk, and I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Russell Lauder. Well, hello, Russell. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, I'm feeling pretty good today. (laughs) You mentioned you were in conference mode as well. Well, I'm just, I'm more like, uh, you're at a conference right now. Where are you at? I'm in Prince Edward Island. I'm at the Canadian Song Conference. (laughs) Exciting. It is exciting. <laughs> and you're just like in that sort of have to be social conference mode, just like the thing that leads to burning I, you out, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, I've been in like full performance mode trying to get someone to want to give me money in some yeah. capacity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've um, all been there. Well, no, I mean, it's it's really <laughs> neat. It's a smaller conference and there's usually, um, I mean, it's where we met, you mentioned that um, Natasha Dupre is a pal of yours. It's actually where I met Natasha. Yeah, that's... Was at this conference like a few years ago. Yeah, that is actually. um, I know you from Twitter. Nobody knows me from Twitter. (laughs) I do. Like, uh, honestly, I feel like this whole season has been just like things that I've come across my Twitter feed, which is crazy because... I love Twitter. Oh, me too. It's... Unpopular opinion, but... No, same. It's my favorite of the social medias. (laughs) It it always has been. It kind of feels like it's where my anecdote Let's go to die, but then I can go back and look at my anecdote graveyard. Yeah. And uh, I know. Yeah. And I'm just, I get upset sometimes because I'm like, guys, that was really fucking funny. <laughs> you know? They missed out. It's it's not, we're not the problem. No, that, I mean, that's where I land with it. So, of course, it's basically yeah. the algorithm. It's Elon's fault, yeah. I think. Elon, <laughs> Elon who? <laughs> who? Who are you talking about? My mom was trying to talk to me about Elon Musk, and I pretended I didn't know who he was. Oh, that's actually, that's a funny bit. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that. That's really funny. Oh, man. So, yeah, we know each other from Twitter. Uh, We have a mutual friend, music supervisor, Natasha Dupre, who is one of the loveliest people in the Canadian music industry. Yeah. Everybody. Major gem. Everybody loves her. For those who don't know you, including myself, uh, why don't we start with like, how did you get your start in music? And like, how did your career in music start? Well, it, it was sort of it was unexpected. It was unexpected, I guess. I had initially started off my sort of creative life as a as a young performance artist. And I was a photographer and I was touring around Canada doing festivals and kind of apprenticing under other performance artists who were a lot more established and I was really interested in the art world and and then I became a bit disillusioned with it you know had a bit of a shift in headspace and I just went to Iceland for for a few months when I was about 19 and I taught myself how to record there and then from then I just kept developing songs they were more experimental kind of cinematic pieces and then I started writing pop songs All about right, yeah 
year or two later and they started to get some traction and I randomly got this this interview with uh back when Vice still had that electronic music blog Thump. They did a, they did like a feature on me um as like this person making cool electronic music in PEI of all places. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was cool and it made people think I was a lot more established than I actually was cuz at that point I had like written a grand total of like four songs. Like it was not a lot. Well, that's what that's the name of the game, baby. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So I got invited to play. I was going to go to Berlin to go to art school. The same week, I was asked to play a festival in Fredericton called Flourish Festival. And I just had a gut feeling that I wanted to do that. So I did. And then that turned into a tour while I was on the road, which led to me getting booked, like booking other shows. Yeah. Like I just kept touring basically for two years straight. And then I met my label. Um, at this conference in PEI, fast forward to 2018. And then I signed with them. And I've been with them since. Mm, that's the Cliff's Notes version. And, and that leads us to where we are now. Yeah. <laughs> Does that, was that a little, I don't know. I tried to to pare it down. I have uh, debilitating ADHD. So oh. it's hard for me to like have a linear narrative about basically. You know anything, what? So but, do I. Um, so I, I. Oh, great. Yeah. So I totally understand. Don't worry about it. I like, love that. You should have okay. seen me rushing to get everything ready for this interview. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could. I know this is going to be a podcast, but I just want people to know that uh, my current mic stand is a sugar twin holder from the hotel room I'm in. <laughs> I'll send you a photo because it's just like it was a moment where I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. Like I was trying to find a mic stand and then I just dumped all the sugar twin out onto the fridge, which I'm going to deal with later because it's making me nervous. But um, yeah, anyway. that's OK. My my computer is currently on top of a recycling box. So <laughs> good team yeah it's so funny because I usually record at my office I share office space with a recording studio so they they normally have like a a studio that I can use right Uh, but but not today so I'm actually at home so I'm like oh god what am I (laughs) what's gonna happen oh man we're doing it (laughs) so anyway the the topic for this week's show is surviving as a working class artist which is obviously a topic that I think many artists can understand i mean if they can't or they couldn't they do now because mm-hmm. of the the pandemic i think the pandemic really brought that that topic to light yeah. you've talked about the subject quite a bit especially on twitter as i i mentioned which is a kind of what led my grumpy old man yeah <laughs> i know but that's that's kind of what led to me going you know that would be a good person to talk to mm-hmm. uh, about this what are you know just generally some of the the challenges that independent artists face these days. I can only really speak speak to myself and and uh, also acknowledge that I'm weirdly, even though I, okay, well, let me just dial back. The main issue is that our different streams of revenue that we're supposed to be kind of counting pennies from and accumulating income from are no longer making us any money. Right. Yes. So that's the bit like, let's start there. That's, that's the biggest problem basically (laughs) is that the thing that you make for people to consume and enjoy, you don't make money from. Yeah. Like people like music is free. Yeah. Music is free now. Yeah. Uh, Which is bananas because it's like, I don't know exactly how much my, the album I'm currently finishing is going to cost, but I'm going to say, I'm going to, estimate it's around 30,000 if you include like the factor grants 
the unpaid studio time, the endless editing, you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, the PR, all of the things that go into creating and promoting a collection of songs is so insanely expensive. And there is just like, it's, it's insane (laughs) that I'm releasing an album right now. I'm like, what, why, why are we doing this? This is just like business. Like, obviously I want to, Yeah, I love an album. I'm a musician. I was like, I'm going to make albums forever, apparently. But uh, from a business money-making capitalist standpoint, I'm like, wow, this is a great way to like stay poor. Well, we're kind of stay in the system. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think that, you know, not just musicians, I think a lot of people in the music industry feel that mm-hmm. that way right now. Like this seems like a losing game, like mm-hmm. especially in Canada, where I feel like it's not a great, an industry that's only held up by grants from the government, mm-hmm. um, where if you actually took the, that funding away the entire industry would collapse. Absolutely. That's probably not a good. (laughs) No. And I don't even think that, you know, I think initially like, so my parents are sort of like 1960s, 1970s Montreal artists. Oh, amazing. Like my dad ran a printing press. Yeah. Like I'm 27, but all my siblings are like in their mid forties and like sort of a weird intergenerational baby. So hearing my dad talk about what it was like to get a grant with the Canada council when he was a young artist was like, you said you were an artist and then they gave you money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there was a time where it was a little bit more democratized for lack of a better term. And now, or maybe, yeah, like, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but maybe it's just that anybody can do it now. Yeah. And so it's, there's just like, there was probably less people wanting to be an artist back yeah. then. Yeah. But I mean, I think there's also like the process of getting a grant is such a skill in and of itself. Like there are people who are career grant writers. Oh yeah. Because it's so, it's, it's such a specific language. It's a, it's a total, it's its own hustle of like getting money. Yeah. So grateful that the grant system exists. However, I still think it kind of just reinforces the same class issues that it was kind of designed to address in the first place. Yes. Which is that like, like people who get grants have either have time to sit around writing grants or they can hire people who write grants or they have a team that writes grants for them. And I say that as someone who's on like an indie label who has fully gotten me grants. Like, yeah. And even still it's like the grants don't pay for living expenses. They pay for the project expenses, which, and usually not all of the project expenses. It's usually just a a portion. Yeah. So no, that's true. Actually, we just did uh, an episode uh, a couple of weeks ago about grant writing. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, that we talked about on that one and also actually on another episode, a big thing that's come up this season in general is just mm-hmm. getting a grant does not pay the artist. And I think no. that that's not great. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's also, I don't know, I don't know the ins and outs of the grant system. So I'm not going to like, you know, say any absolutes, but I, I, I don't think there is, I don't think that the socioeconomic status of an artist is taken into consideration when grants are being given out as much as it should. 100% agree with that. Like, especially like when, when we talk about like the diversity isms in the music industry, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we talk about sexism, racism, heterosexualism, all of these Mm -hmm. things, but we never really talk about classism. No. Right. Like that's, not something that gets addressed. Like, why do you think that is? Probably because a lot of 
poor people are either too tired <laughs> to, because like working class, you it's like, it's exhausting. Poverty is exhausting. Yes. There's a lot of shame, I think, and stigma attached to poverty. There's a lot of blame. And uh, when, you know, people who openly talk about living in poverty or living in any kind of precarity, bring it up, it's often the, the blame is kind of put back onto them. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's also something that is internalized because of capitalism, because of all these you know, yeah, it must be something I'm doing wrong. I'm a failure. I'm not hustling hard enough. But it's like, I've I've been working, well, now I'm down to two jobs, two service jobs, but I was working three service jobs uh, for the past five months. And like, I kind of, you know, talking to my parents about this kind of thing, you know, they were part of a time where it was really, it was super cheap to live in Montreal. It was, you know, it, like money wasn't plentiful for them ever because they were artists or, you know, young single parents, but. They could make a living though. Yeah, they could make a living. There was enough. They somehow found enough. It was never that bad, you know, but I'll be working. I'll be working. I'll have my head down. I won't like, I haven't seen my friends in weeks. And then, you know, eventually i someone's schedule aligns with mine and I'm able to like have a hangout with another friend who's in a similar position. And we're like, this is insane. This is like, (laughs) I don't think it's actually been this bad in a really long time. Like, I don't think we're just being whiny babies. I think this is actually like bonkers that we have to work this hard to keep our heads above water. And like, we're making nothing. um, Like we're not. Yeah. Like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's, it, it, it's a good point. And I mean, most independent musicians are in the same boat as mm-hmm. you. I, it's, it's not a, a unique thing that's, that's happening to you. And I think one of the biggest problems in the creative industries that, again, like you talked about, like it's, there's a shame involved with it and you can't talk about it. And especially with the music industry, I think a lot of artists will front that like it's not happening like you know you can have this sort of instagram version of yourself that may seem like it's going really well oh yeah and then just like you know i mean for for me i've had a lot of artists that i work with that are like you know by the way i i have a day job Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's like they're embarrassed about it i'm like listen (laughs) most artists i work with have a day job maybe two maybe three like it's a very weird thing it's almost like you said people just are too shameful yeah scared to talk about it like i don't think i'm special for having a bunch of jobs you know what i mean like i think that it's it's like like being working class sucks and it is hard to make money in the music industry as a as an emerging artist or an independent artist and it always has been Yeah, I I had like for almost three years, I was living primarily off of music as my income. Like I was a full time musician. Yeah. And I was get that was because I was getting sound exchange royalties because of CBC Radio three plays. But when that deal was serious split that I so many artists have that same problem. Exactly. So and that was also at a time where you know, I had just gotten out of this relationship and I, I had actually been experiencing some housing precarity as a result of it, uh, just because of the timing that had happened. The It's been on my mind particularly, like a lot more because it was such, that level of precarity was such a compounded experience by two epic things happening at the same time. Yeah. And it made me realize like, wow, it is, you know, I was, I, 
you know, I was, I wasn't on the street. I was staying with friends. Like, you know, my people had my back. Thank God. Yes. And I'm going to be grateful for that forever. And I look forward to the day I can pass it on. But even coming out of that level of housing precarity, the financial catch up game I had to play, like people don't realize how expensive it is to be poor. Yes. Like to, to, to come out of a situation where you have been knocked on your ass and it's like, poverty is not your fault you know like yeah but our society is set up to make it seem that way when you look at things like nsf charges um giving higher interest rates to people with low credit things like that it's like you're just trying to keep people in that situation yeah and it works it works really well it's like there there are many things that are set up in our society to keep poor people poor you know yeah i mean I guess I can just bring up abortion since it's now like a debatable topic, apparently, politically. But I mean, that the reason I think that that's being brought up as well as like misogyny is because that is a 100% effective way to keep a deeply impoverished working class is like banning abortion. It, it's true. Right. You take because away that, the choice. Mm-hmm, that's just exactly. Yeah. We're not allowed to make decisions. So, or, yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's like. I'm just seeing, I'm drawing, sorry, I don't want to go too sort of off topic, but like I'm drawing a lot of parallels right now because it's like, I want to, I want to figure out what, what, what it would look like for musicians to have some kind of barrier or some kind of like, is this something that we lobby the government about? Is this something that we lobby Spotify about? Is this something that we lobby? You know what I mean? Like, no, it's, that's, and I'm, I'm watching. You bring up a good point. Yeah. yeah like I'm, I'm watching the, um. I don't know if you've been keeping track of the uh, the writers' strikes in. Oh uh, yeah, actually, in the film yeah. Industry, right? I I, ha- I have I'm that here in my here notes to notes. talk about with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm absolutely taking notes because I'm like, okay, this is amazing, right? Because th- they can't do anything without the writers; they just can't. But in the music industry, that's a lot more difficult. Like, if musicians were to lobby against big streaming platforms, it would be so much more difficult because we can't just take our music off the platforms no. because then we're dealing with distributors. We're dealing with like, con- like it, it's just, it's too complicated. And so what is the effective way that we ha- like, where is it that we actually do have the upper hand? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know? that's a really big question, right? I, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that one is not to radicalize your audience or anything. no, I love it. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> I'm as left as they come. So this I mean, is very yeah, exciting. I was going to for- say you're yeah, okay, great. <laughs> very exciting. I'm like, let's burn it down. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Yeah, like particularly with the writer's strike, I think that one, like, 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 even if we just start with some workable solutions that would make musicians' lives better here in Canada, like, mm-hmm. what about a union that actually does something for you? I know, like, how, <laughs> like, I'm just going to Google right now how to start a union and I'll get back to you, okay? Just give me five minutes. If you five could minutes. get on top of that, that would be great. Yeah, I'll just, I'm on it. I'll add it to my list. Yeah, because 
Like, I think that there is a musician's union, but I don't think it does anything, really. I think it's just called a union. But it's not really a union? Is that shady? I don't know. Well, it certainly isn't working as effectively as uh, the the writer's uh, union in Hollywood. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. That's the kind we need. But those are the questions that I'm thinking of. It's like, okay, this is clearly not an individual problem. Yeah. So it's not going to be an individual solution. Yeah. At the same time. Time. I'm like working a bunch, so it's you know it's a little hard to to want to uh, add starting a revolution to my list. But um, if no one else is going to, <laughs> this is my whole <laughs> this is my whole life, Russell. This is like me every day, just getting mad at everything and just going, well, if no one's going to do anything, so and tired. then I'm just like, but I'm so maybe tired. I'll have a nap. No, I'll feel better. Feel better. And then I'm like, but that's what they want. They want me to have a nap. They don't want me to have a nap. They don't want you to have a nap, Jen. But they want me to be like so beaten down that I won't do anything. Totally. Totally. No, it's like straight up like, I don't know. I don't want (laughs) to. The most radicalized uh, podcast episode I think I've had and I enjoy it very much. Oh, that's good. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you you touched on this like a, a little bit, but obviously the biggest problem is that working class musicians just don't make any music off their money. Uh, they don't make any music off their money and they don't make any money off their music. Damn it. <laughs> money off the music. Is that what I said? But it works. <laughs> oh my God. They don't make any money off their music. <laughs> Good job, Fritz. Mm-hmm. Which differs like even from say like 15, 20 years ago, you, you could actually make some money from your music. What are some other sources of revenue that that help musicians to you know kind of stay afloat these days other than making music money i almost said it again making money from their music so like like outside of (laughs) like outside of of just music altogether no 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 no. just like outside of like spotify giving you money what are some other ways you make money spotify gives me money yeah i i hear (laughs) Um, beyonce gets paid well from what i understand oh well good for her yeah i mean i do love that for beyonce yeah, so I mean, sync licensing is a good thing to mention because it seems to be one of the only ways that musicians can make money now. But I'm also wondering if that's going to be a, a viable income stream in 10 years because of the way that streaming is working out. Well, right? yeah, um, and I mean, that's part of the writer's strike right now, too. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's giving Spotify, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, but for now, it's really, it is juicy when you can get a a nice little placement here and there. I mean, like I, I've gotten a couple of placements, nothing that's been like majorly life changing, but it does generate some like passive income here and there. You know, it's like nice to get a little SoCan Mm -hmm. situation here and there. But it's it's not something that you can really count on. You can't really ex- you know when to expect that money, at least for a year, yeah. or six months, at least. No, it's true. So there's that gigging, touring. touring. Yeah, tour. Well, I mean, touring itself is so expensive because of inflation, at least in, in Canada. So I haven't, you know, I was I was a touring artist. Like that was my thing for the first like three years of my career. That was all I did. Yeah. Two and a half years. It's really. It, it 
it can, you know, I was monkey barring my income from touring because that was what I was able to do at the time. But now in, in the current economy, I don't know if I could do it the same way. I, I think that I would need like an advance or a grant. Yeah. And then even then I'm not really making money. I'm just sort of breaking even. And I think that's a thing with a lot of other artists. Cadence Weapon actually wrote a really good um, article on, on, uh, on the class issues of being a touring artist sort of I don't want to say post-pandemic because it, you know, it's, it's still, we're still pandemic, in the but, pandemic. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like post-lockdown era kind of touring and how difficult that has become. Yeah, I read that. That was um, He really wrote, good. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really, um, really succinct analysis. And I love his writing. I think he's... Incredible so writer and also one of my favorite follows on Twitter. He's... Great Twitter. Yeah. Also talks a lot about classism just in general. Yeah. 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 He's super smart. So yeah, touring is an option. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, so money. Um, <laughs> can't make any money. So <laughs> uh, how else do I make money as a musician? Well, I mean, yeah, like you mentioned that you lost a lot mm-hmm. of money because of the serious radio CBC thing. Maybe let's talk a little bit about sure. that because I know a lot of artists felt that yeah. as well. And so basically, uh, serious XM in Canada only has. Sirius XM only has a few Canadian channels, Mm -hmm. one of which was the CBC Radio 3 channel, which a lot of Canadian artists got play on. And because of that play, received money um, because of the airplay. They removed the channel. And so many artists were like, oh, that guaranteed money not coming no more. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And they they released it. They didn't even do like a full, it wasn't even on like the, the CBC like the main CBC news feed. It was like a, by the way, it was, it was on their BT dubs page. Yeah. Um, that's not what it's called. I just don't know what it's actually called, but it was basically in the, like the stuff that they don't actually want to deal with. And they let us, I think it happened October 4th and they let us know October 14th. Oh my gosh. Or or maybe it was October 8th. I don't know. I have, I'm bad at math. I don't do math, but it was, it was so, (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. I remember where I was and who I was with when I saw that that news and uh, I just did not know what I was going to do straight up. Yeah, it's just no money. I remember my manager called me and he was like, "I don't know if we can keep working together." Oh my god. Like I'm so free. Well, yeah, cuz that was that was my main income as an artist and it was generating like I would say it was over 70% of my income. Wow. Was from that. And it was, that's not a lot. That's not a lot of income, but I would, I could make that work. I could monkey bar that, you know, if I was getting like, of course, you know, $4,000 every couple of months, like it's tight, but like, Hey, it's like, yeah, yeah, I can make that work as an artist in Montreal. And like, you know, Oh gosh, that's so crazy. So yeah, I can't even believe that they just like took it away and that was it. Well, I mean, Sirius XM is a private like they don't have to be accountable to anybody really no, and yeah. i think it was like it was a it was a contract that it ended between the crt or ct crtc C, the canadian radio television crtc yeah 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 and and sirius i believe is what went down and they didn't have to they weren't beholden to canadian yeah content exactly anymore yeah 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 Oof. oh well well let's wrap things up and try to end things <laughs> Let's try to <laughs> end happy things note. on a f- positive note yeah. uh, because, you know, it's not all bad. Let's it's talk not. about your music. You have a new album coming out this summer and you 
recently released a new single, Movie Queen, which I love, Thank by you. the way. And then you have another one coming out soon. Yeah, um, June 15th. Why don't you tell me just a, like a little bit about the new music and the new album? Yeah, the new album, I'm, I'm very excited about. It's like definitely been a project of pure passion, fumes and adrenaline, uh, which I think has given it a very interesting vibe, for lack of a better term. <laughs> it's uh, It's got this sort of like 80s, Russell Louder, electro pop, like kind of Eurythmics-y songs but then there's also like a disco track on there there's a folk song there i've i've been experimenting with bringing in like folk elements of folk or like mechanisms of of folk music into a more electronic sphere but like not in a cheesy way Mm -hmm. and my manager is calling it future folk which i think is really funny so we'll see if that sticks (laughs) but it's it's an album where it's just it's it's a lot of of musical ideas that are somehow talking to each other and working oh, in a it. way that I just did not expect. Like I didn't come, I never come into an album being like, this is what I'm going to create. This is how I'm going to do it. It's just sort of like, wow. Okay. Brain. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a total ADHD brain, right? Like, yeah, it's big ADHD mode. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I love it. Do you have a release date for the new album yet? It's set for August. Okay. Something. Okay. So look for that in August. It's in my Google calendar. It doesn't matter. It's okay. (laughs) August is great. August is great. (laughs) All right. Well, this seems like a good time to head on over to our fresh content segment. Every week on the show, we discuss our favorite piece of music content for the week. And we always like to start with a guest. So, Russell, what do you got? Yeah. So there's this documentary that I remember watching on my first tour as a musician at this festival called Flourish Festival. And they were they were screening this documentary. It was in 2017. I think the documentary is 2016. And it's called Etu Dude, like E-T-T-U, Dude. Yeah. And it's a, a documentary on the post-industrial London, Ontario DIY music scene. Cool. Um, and so it's all these working class punk and noise and like just amazing DIY musicians. But like the documentary is more about the community and, and people making it work in this really kind of challenging socioeconomic situation. Yeah. It also like, it has elements. What am I trying to say? There's, I think in a lot of current media, there's a lot of like trauma spectacles. People love to talk about trauma because, you know, it's like kind of a big deal, but I feel uncomfortable watching it because it, I don't know that it's necessarily like serving the purpose of, of actually educating people or like maintaining an integrity about the humanity of someone who's experienced trauma. But this documentary talks about people working through their trauma through their music scene in a really interesting way and in a way that that feels so um, vulnerable and moving, but cool. really just human. Love it. It's also all in black and white. It's a black. I love a black and white situation for for film. So that adds a really beautiful kind of verisimilitude to the whole thing. Do you remember wh- where you watched it? Like, how could people watch it? Yeah, it's, I should rewatch it. I haven't watched it since, but I remember it really impacted me when I did. I can Google it if you can't remember. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I think it's on. I think here. Let me just like. Yeah, so it's on IMDb, but I don't know. You can't watch shit on IMDb. 
Jesus, I sound like I've, I sound like my parents. You're, you're like a total boomer dad right now. I, yeah, a little bit boomer brain. I mean, oh we all have those moments. I think my nephew said "Okay, boomer" to me the oh, other day. Nothing gets me more. I'm a Gen Xer, and nothing gets me more mad. I just I'm like I'm Gen X. Yeah, so I'm like I'm like a I'm like a millennial sun Gen X moon. <laughs> Boomer rising. Exactly. We've got a little bit like when when my flashlight goes off on my iPhone. Boomer. Yeah. That's that happened to me at the restaurant. That the waiter had to turn it off for me. Oh my god! It's so embarrassing. It's, the worst. it's so embarrassing. <laughs> it's the worst. They had to tell me that my flash um your flashlight is on, and they're so condescending I know. when they do it too. <sighs> I know horrendous leave me alone let me live my life yeah (laughs) it's a creative choice (laughs) don't worry i'll i'll look it up okay yeah i'm I'm, it's okay i'll find it it's fine yeah (laughs) okay sorry i I should have had that locked and loaded it's fine uh, it's okay that's what i'm here for what what, do you have a creative thing do you have Uh, fresh content yeah fresh content yes so mine is uh i'm gonna do a podcast which i guess is kind of weird because to recommend another podcast, but right. I'm sure that our listeners listen to a lot of podcasts. So I guess that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to recommend the podcast 60 songs that explain the nineties. Have you heard of this oh. podcast? Do you know? No, but I'm already intrigued. Uh, um, it's hosted by music writer, Rob Hervella, who he writes for the ringer.com. And it's basically exactly what it sounds like, mm-hmm. except for he's gone over 60 songs. And I think he's aiming for like 120 at, at this point. It's really, it's an interesting podcast. He kind of like doesn't just explain the song, but he just does a lot of like riffing and talking about his life. And <laughs> and it's so, so it's sort of like through his lens. Yeah, exactly. A little bit. Exactly. His, through his experience of the 90s. That's interesting. That's cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. So you kind of have to get into the groove with it because it's a, at first you're like, what the hell is this? Mm. Like, <laughs> like he's just talking about being a kid and listening to the song for the first time. But then mm. it's it's kind of cool. So my one is, I just recommend that podcast overall, but uh, a couple weeks ago, he did the song uh, Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit, which is basically the quintessential 90s song. That is the one song that if I was asked what song explains the 90s in general, I would probably just pick that one. It's really good. I haven't heard it. Oh my God, that would be so I'm just kidding. (laughs) Listen, I, I honestly, I, so many of my clients are, are younger. I expect anything <laughs> at this point that like, like just Someone's- like anything that comes out of like Gen Z, I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> like I don't, it's fine if you don't. I mean, I grew up with it. Right. But oh. yeah. Someone asked me who Christina Aguilera was recently and I dissociated right in front of that's, them. Well, that's me talking about like anything in the nineties or when someone uh. says, oh yeah, my dad really likes them. <gasps> just oh yeah my parents are into that yeah which happened I was talking about I I love Bruce Springsteen so much I was talking about that the other day and that's what they said to me (laughs) just I I'm here for you it's fine it's fine is it I'm over it is it is it fine it's (laughs) I'm Anyway, it's a really good episode. It's from a couple weeks ago, and uh, it includes an interview with Courtney Love, who is my fave. So she is as crazy as you are expect her to be uh, on that. Um, but I, I love a good Courtney interview. She's and, so cool. Yeah. Oh, just I love her Iconic. so much. Yeah, totally. 
So that's my recommendation. And I'll have links for both of those things in the show notes for everyone. And I guess, yeah, that's it. Thanks so much for, for joining me today, Russell. Is there, we've talked about the album, but is there anything else you want to plug? Yeah, I, well, I just got, I mean, I'm I'm non-binary, so it's like, it's weird to say I'm in the program, but I got into the Women in the Studio program through Music Publishers Canada. So it's like, it's not just for women, obviously, it's for like non-binary. It's always and, difficult with the know, language. Basically, anyone who's yeah. not a cis dude. Anyone who's <laughs> yeah, not a cis dude. That's what it should be. I was like, you should just say like, no cis dudes. Like, just say that, like, go for it. But you know, I think they, you know. I know. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about it and they're super receptive. But uh, no, it's a really, really cool program uh, through Music Publishers Canada, where I'm going to be kind of put through a six month long with five other uh, producers. We're going to be put through a six month long uh, sort of accelerator program geared towards like learning about the more technical and business aspects of of music production. And, and uh, I'm going to be working more. Um, I'm hoping to sink my teeth into some some composition and, cool. and kind of work with other artists in that capacity. So that's going to be really exciting. That's, that's a, that's the other thing I'm excited about. Right on. And where can people find you online? Um, I'm at Russell Louder, R-U-S-S-E-L-L-L-O-U-D-E-R. And it's my real last name, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, have a good rest of your day. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. that was such a great chat. I really hope you liked it. And thanks again to Russell for coming on the show. Thanks so much for listening to the FM podcast. If you like the show, please tell your friends and give us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts, hopefully a five star one. You know, that's what we like to see. It really helps people find the podcast. And uh, if you can take the time to do it, we'd really appreciate it. The FM podcast is produced by Fritz Media with production assistance from Carla J. If you want to learn more about Fritz Media, check out our website at fritzmedia.ca. And you can follow us on Facebook, we're at Fritz Media, and on Instagram and Twitter at Fritz underscore media. And if you want to learn more about the podcast, go to the fmpodcast.com. A big thank you to Said the Whale for providing the theme music for the show, and you can find them at saidthewhale.com. Okay, so we're going to go out with our song of the week this week, which of course is a song from Russell. Here's Movie Queen. I can feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. Light a cigarette, breathe it in, let it smolder And keep me warm as the spotlight fades Lately I'm spent
Bye. I'll see you next Tuesday.